thank you guys. We did have some fun with Craig there. Uh, we were able to finish our project a day early and, and got to do a little sightseeing one day and we were out at a local uh, kind of a historic spot there uh, touring and everywhere we go I mean we, we we literally saw one lady that we think might have been American in 10 days we were the only Americans anywhere in a in the middle of a billion people and what was really fun is at the hotel the elevator uh, as the elevator would open and and they never in their wildest dreams thought that they would wake up that day and see an American and unfortunately, and many times, that was my face that they saw first. And I was like, I feel so sorry for you. You want to see an American and you get this. But sometimes they would see Craig. And we were at this uh, tourist um, uh, site, and, and, and people would just come up, and they thought we were somebody famous. And so we were, we were glad to take pictures with them. So there's selfies of, of us all over India. And we just about got out of there, and I said, Craig, I said, hey, which WrestleMania? Were you in WrestleMania 12 or 14? And the next 15 minutes, we were trying to get out of the crowd for just that was my split second of feeling like a celebrity uh, because people were taking pictures of us um, nonstop, posing with babies, and, and it was just, it was crazy. But I had a great time uh, with those men, and this could not be a better week for us to kind of mention a little bit about India and the spot that we're in in the book of Acts. It was perfect uh, setup here to go into Acts, the end of chapter 6, um, as we mention India. And you're going to continue to hear more about it uh, as we go through the morning. We've got a little video we'll show as the offering buckets pass later on in the morning. Um, but for now, let's turn to Acts chapter 6 and look at verse number 8. And as you turn there, remember last week uh, we saw the formation of the first deacons, and that's kind of what we're coming off of there, and it lists the, the men who were chosen to serve, and now we're at Acts chapter 6, verse number 8, and the story of Stephen. And Stephen was listed in that group of deacons, and now we get a little bit of Stephen's life here in chapter 7, and um, the end of 6 and, and chapter 7. So let's look at verse 8, and we'll read through 14, and then talk about this a little bit. It says, Stephen... A man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. And none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. And this roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Notice at the beginning of that, it tells a little bit more about Stephen. He wasn't just some guy serving food. He wasn't just some guy helping out the widows. It says that he did great wonders and miraculous signs. We can only imagine what uh, those must have looked like and, and what the Spirit of God did in and through him. You also see that uh, some of the, the things that we've talked about in these last several weeks, the, the Holy Spirit gave him a tremendous amount of wisdom. It also gives him boldness as we read throughout his story. Uh, but like Peter earlier in the book of Acts, there's no trouble with Stephen doing these signs and wonders. 
He's, he's helping the community. He's, he's uh, being a blessing to the people. Um, he's doing great things, and they're probably leaving with their jaw dropped and in awe and just amazed at the power uh, that he's showing of God. It's only when he begins to open his mouth, just like Peter, that there's a problem. His, his message is what the problem was. That's what the spiritual leaders had a problem with. It wasn't his acts. It wasn't his doing things. It was his voice. It was his message. And the message was this, that the message that if someone wanted to meet God, they didn't need a temple or a building. They just needed a person named Jesus. And that would have been tremendously insulting to the people whose whole business was to attract people to the temple. And so as Stephen gives that message, uh, it tremendously offended them. And his, other, his, his message continued to say that if someone sought forgiveness, sacrifices and, and good works weren't the answer. Trusting Jesus and his work on the cross was the answer and still is today. And so that would have just, uh, just infuriated the, the, the religious leaders of the day who uh, made their living, so to speak, of getting people to come to the temple and to go through these rituals and these laws and, and these, and these uh, events. And, and so his message would have been considered, Bible word, blasphemy, uh, which means it would have been, seemed to be insulting to God, to his audience. And that was punishable by death. Stephen would have known that as he, as he proclaims this message. He knows that the offense that's going to be taken, uh, the punishment of the day, would have been death. And it would have been probably stoning. And he knew that. I've had some uh, uncomfortable speaking engagements. I've, I've, had, I've been asked to speak places or done, uh, come to places that I wasn't really comfortable doing. Last week in India, uh, you don't really know what crowd you're going to get. And you don't even speak their language. And so there's some, some uncomfortableness there. Uh, many of you probably have had to do presentations at work, and, and it just kind of makes you a little uneasy. Stevens was totally different. Stephen goes into this, and he knows that he's facing an angry crowd. He, he's, his, his speaking engagement here was in front of a group of people who did not want to hear what he had to say. And yet he goes forward. And, and I say that to say, uh, you're going to see in the next verse how he was able to do that. Now look at verse number 15. When we uh, originally started laying out this sermon uh, series and this plan, we, we were talking about um, really emphasizing the fact that Stephen's life looked a lot like Jesus, especially toward the end days there. And we were going to talk about how the Holy Spirit enables us to look like Jesus. And, and hopefully you'll talk a little bit more about that in HC Groups tonight. But as I read verse 15, uh, really kind of took it a different direction. Look what verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 15 says. It says, At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen, because his face became as bright as an angel. He began to look different. Something about Stephen uh, looked different. I think, I think Siri thinks I called her name, but I didn't. That happens to me all the time. John MacArthur, he's a um, commentator, and he described it this way. He said that this would have been a pure, calm, unruffled composure reflecting the presence of God. I think that is a beautiful description of what this would have looked like. Pure, calm, unruffled composure reflecting the presence of God. That's what Stephen's face looked like. Remember the deacon account earlier in chapter 6 describes him as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So here's the big idea today. Here's the main idea. The Holy Spirit empowers us to shine. The Holy Spirit empowers us to look different, to shine, to be a light in the middle of a dark, dark world. 
And you see that in verse 15 with Stephen. Now, we don't know exactly what this would have looked like. Uh, we saw earlier in Scripture this similar thing happened to Moses. And there's probably many different opinions even in this room of what that would have looked like. Um, and I've been studying this passage for a few weeks, preparing for today, and, and wondering myself what that would have looked like. And then two weeks ago today, I saw something and, and was in a room with someone, and it was something that I'll never forget as long as I live, and I'm certain that I got a glimpse of what Luke is describing in Acts 16, or 6, verse 15. I'm almost certain that I saw this unruffled composure, pure calm, reflecting the presence of God. We were in a hotel room. We had had the rather long morning service that I believe Kyle told you guys about, the about three and a half hour long church service. And it was the only night of the week that we, or the two weeks we were there, that we didn't go to a church that evening. And so we enjoyed just kind of sitting back in the hotel and asking Edgar some questions and gaining some wisdom from him. And uh, we, we had ordered pizza. Uh, three of the, the men there with us had never had pizza before, and there was a pizza place down the road. And, of course, it didn't have our kind of toppings. It had Indian toppings, but it was still very good. And, um, and so we're enjoying some time there. And, and just casual conversation, we began to ask. There's was, there was about four or five men there with our, the leader of the native uh, ministry there. There was about four or five men there with him, and we began to ask them questions about their family and real lighthearted stuff. We called that group the Dream Team. That was the team that, that was his close-knit group that just made everything happen. And, and, and one man in particular in that group, when I first saw him, I thought he was about 16 years old. Uh, he just looked young. And, and he was serving us everywhere we went, giving us water bottles, making sure we had a seat, making sure that we were taken care of, just, just going just the way above what he should have to take care of us. And so we had already seen him and met him and just knew his heart a little bit, his humility. And we found out that he was married with two children. And, and then we began to ask about their ministries. And that's when the, the mood of the room kind of changed. And... And we were hearing this for the first time, as well as the, uh, the Indian guys in the room had never heard this either. Because this is something that they just don't talk about. See, we, if we have a confrontation at work or we share our faith or um, you know, we do something that we think is good, we, we're quick to tell about it because it's kind of like a badge of honor, right? We, you know, I shared my faith and you're not going to believe it. We kind of got in this debate or, or uh, this person you know, um, asked questions and, we're gonna, and we just kind of... We celebrate that a little bit more, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but, but you didn't see that with them. It was just business as usual with them. And, and he, he begins to open up the story that no one in the room had ever heard before. And if you're a pastor there, uh, you kind of plant a church in your village, and then um, this Acts 1-8, they're, they're called to, to go to the next village, and the next village, and the next village. And so he's working on the next village, and the next village happens to be across state lines. And across state lines, there's a militant force there that's actually working against the police. Um, so he's battling through that, getting through those roadblocks, so to speak, and getting into the village, and he's found some, uh, some people that are receptive in the village, and, he, and so he kind of has a little home base there, and, uh, but the, some other villagers aren't receptive, and, and he's had death threats, he's had uh, people lunging through the windows with knives trying to, to get into them in the, in the house there, and then we asked him, we said, how do you even get to this 
place? How do you, how do you get to this other village? And he says, well, I, I walk or ride my bike. And, of course, we can't understand a word he's saying. It's all through a translator. And, and he says, but even in that, we have to be careful because there are landmines. The, mili- the militia has placed landmines out, uh, not necessarily to get the civilians, but to, to get the police Later in the week, we actually read in the newspaper where it had killed nine police officers as one of the police vehicles had hit one of the landmines. And so he's dodging these things, going into an unreached people group, so to speak, uh, putting his life on the line. All the while, he's got a wife and two kids, and he wasn't even going to share that with us. It was, just, it was just purely came out in conversation. And I watched as he talked and as he spoke, and, and I just pulled my camera out, and I, and I took a picture. And I was hoping that it got the... I was hoping that it got verse 15, like I was seeing it with my own eyes. And as I looked at the picture later, um, I think it did. Patrick, would you put the picture up? You can see the guys on the, the left and on the right. They're hearing it for the first time, and you can see the concern on their face. And then the guy in the middle, is that not like the face of an angel? The unruffled composure that reflected the presence of God as he's talking about this persecution that he's going into. I don't know how, I, I just, I, I began to think, what in the world would make that possible in a man? And it's the Holy Spirit. We, we prayed over him. We said, we've got to pray for you. And we had to all kind of compose ourselves. I mean, we were all just, uh, we just couldn't believe what we had just seen. And as we're praying, Josh mentioned it a little bit, we're, I prayed first, and then, and then the leader, uh, Edgar, prayed. And, and in his prayer, we all got our hands on this guy's shoulders and And Edgar prays that he would have boldness as he follows you, Lord, unto death. And this man says, yes, Lord. And I was like, what am I going to go back to in America? (laughs) Kick back for spring break. And this guy's going into villages, putting his life on the line with unruffled composure, reflecting the presence of God. He had the face as that of an angel. And much of Stephen's message in, ver- in chapter 7, is that God is with believers everywhere. So Stephen would have known and he would have embraced this idea that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what, that's what allowed him to be able to do this. That's what allowed him to shine in this moment. And I believe that day that we prayed, I believe without a doubt, that we prayed with a man that is full of the Holy Spirit. And you see that in, in chapter 7 here. Stephen, as he begins to speak, that he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's shining. And, and when, when they left, we were, we were just speechless. We, we said, how can we go back to our safe lives? How can we go back after what we've just saw? And, and here's kind of the conclusion that we came to. We can be challenged by that, but we should not feel guilty about where God has placed us. Because the Holy Spirit can empower us to shine wherever God chooses to use us. God chooses to use those men over there. And they may have to put their lives on the line. And the worst we may have to, to deal with is maybe a, a loss of a job or a loss of a friendship or, or whatever. But we shouldn't feel guilty about that. The Holy Spirit's going to allow us to shine in the moment that God has placed us in. Look at, uh, it's on the screen. You could turn there if you want, but don't lose your place in Acts. Philippians chapter 2. And Kyle read verse 14 last week. And um, thankfully he stopped just before where I was going to get to this week. So uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 and 15. Paul is writing this and he says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Notice, remember Stephen, they couldn't find anything to criticize him. They had a lie. They had to make something up. 
It says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Keep in mind, Paul wrote this, and you'll find later in the Stephen story that Paul was there too. Sounds kind of like Paul is calling us to live like he saw Stephen live out in that moment. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You think Paul was sitting there, much like I was with Alicia, only with a totally different mindset, and saw the glowing, saw the face like that of an angel. And then as he's converted later on, he goes back and he thinks, that's the way Christians are supposed to look. And he writes it to the church at Philippi. And he's challenging us to live a life like Stephen. Now, not all of us are going to be faced with that kind of extreme persecution. But according to God's word, we should be faced with some. Right? Jesus said, Jesus said the world's going to hate us because it hated him. So we should be faced with some. And maybe you're like me, and, and, and there's been times in your life when you could say this, and you say, well, I, I fit in pretty well with the world. I don't have a lot of problems. And that's me sometimes. And probably that's you sometimes. And maybe you said, I've never really had any opposition to my faith. And, and maybe that's the case. But the Bible clearly says that we should. Remember Stephen, Peter, uh, those other guys, they weren't ever harassed until they opened their mouth. How many of you ever heard this phrase, your life may be the only Bible some people read? You ever heard that? Your, your life may be the only... I, I think that what we've done is we've gotten really good at living by that motto, and, and, and we kind of live that out. Uh, we've gotten really good at trusting that, and, and so we're polite, and we volunteer, and, and we let our neighbors see that we're in the routine of going to church. They know our car is going to be missing on Sunday morning, and... And Wednesday night, they know they're not going to see our car. And, you know, maybe we, maybe we bring their kid with, them, with us to, to church. And maybe we even play Christian music over the, over the fence or, or at our desk at, at work. But here's the problem with, with just relying on those things. We can't introduce people to Jesus without talking about him. And so, yeah, that, I mean, if you do that, we might start seeing some opposition. I think we've played it really, really, really safe. And we said, hey, the, my life might be the only Bible some people read, so I'm going to show them what a Christian looks like. But you've got to tell them about Jesus. And when we speak up, we should expect opposition. We should expect people to oppose that idea. And you know what will happen? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to shine in that moment. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to look like a light in a dark world. You're controlled by whatever fills you. So if you're filled with jealousy, then your life is going to be controlled by always wanting, wanting, wanting. If you're filled with lust, then you're always going to be chasing those sinful desires. You're always going to be out looking for those things. If you're controlled with anger, you're not going to have any joy in your life. You're always going to be angry and frustrated and mad. And that's the way your life is going to be controlled. But if you're controlled, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit... You're going to be controlled by him, and you're going to be empowered to shine. I was able to go um, in college. I went on a mission trip. To, now, this sounds like I went to, like, the beach resort, but I didn't. i got to tell you. I went to a mission trip. I always have to preface this because when I say I went to a mission trip to Jamaica, it sounds like we went to, like, one of those sandals resorts or something. But I can promise you that was behind a 15- or 20-foot wall, and I still have not seen in one of those. Uh, the Jamaica that I went to, the village was called Burnt Ground, Jamaica. So it did not look like the resort. But we did have a day uh, to kind of have a vacation day there. And we went to this place called Glistening 
waters. And it's really a kind of a wonder of the world type deal. You go out at night on a boat and the water just looks like normal water. It's dark and everything is, is, is normal. Uh, but there's this chemical reaction within an organism that lives in the water. And when I read this, I thought, man, I jumped in the water. I didn't really, I mean, people swim in it, but you don't really know when you're doing it that there's an organism called dinoflagellites that float around in there. But when that is excited or disturbed by movement, it glows, it lights up. Will you show this uh, first picture there, Patrick? So this is like the, the wake of the boat. And when it stirs the water, it glows. It's called glistening waters. So in other words, uh, that that reaction happens, and, and when it's stirred, the water shines. Here's the deal. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're moved into action, we begin to shine. The next, there's one other picture there. I think it's when the water, the people are, yeah, so the people are in there and, and, and the water glows. And I read about that, and here's, the, here's what the, here's what the um, stats and the information about it say. It says, the more sunshine the lagoon receives during the day, the brighter the organisms will glow at night. So the more time, the way I relate that to our Bible story here, is the more time we spend with God during the day, the more time we spend with our Savior, then the brighter we're going to shine when we're stirred into action and begin to glow and begin to shine in the world. And we got to really quickly finish up with Stephen. So back to Stephen chapter 7. We're not going to read the whole, um, the whole sermon here. You can read that tonight. In HC groups, but remember now he's he's glowing, he's shining. Whatever whatever image you've got there in your mind uh, could just be a smile. It could be this unruffled composure, uh, reflecting Christ, and he delivers what we know of as the longest sermon in the Book of Acts. Um, he begins with this is kind of interesting to me. He begins in verse two by saying, "Brothers and fathers." Now keep in mind he's speaking to a very angry crowd here. And he calls them brothers and fathers. He wants their undivided attention. And he shows them respect for their authority. Because he wants them to listen. He cares for them. He wants them to come to Jesus. He's not just trying to finger point and put it in their face. He wants them to come to Jesus. And then he goes on to begin. And he, and he speaks clearly this message of the gospel that they had distorted. That they had lied about. And he lays out a beautiful sermon. Um, clearly pointing to the gospel of Jesus. And you can read that tonight in your HC groups. And then in verse 51, he closes out in verse 51 by pointing out to these accusers that they're the ones who have been disobedient and who are guilty of blasphemy. And if you, don't, if you think they were mad before, at verse 51, they're very, very mad. Um, you can read, and, and, and again, remember, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be bold and he does that in verse 51. He says, you stubborn people, at the end of his sermon, he says, you are heathen at, at heart and deaf to the truth. You must, forever resist, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. He begins to say, you're the ones who have the problem. Not me. You're the ones with issue. He calls them stubborn. And in other versions, it says stiff-necked. Um, he was referring to, back then, that was a phrase they used for the oxen or the horses that would just bow up and wouldn't move, wouldn't yield to that yoke that they had around their neck, completely disobedient, and he calls them that. He says, you're the ones who confined God to a temple. That is blasphemy. 
That's, that's disrespectful to God. And then we see what happens as the story closes out. Look at verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily. This is the calm spirit. Gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They didn't want to hear what he was saying. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we later know as Paul, who we'll get into the story of as we move through our Acts series after Easter. In verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And just like when Jesus breathed his last breath, when Stephen died, they, it, it, it appeared as if Satan had won. It appeared as if he had uh, killed the messenger. Surely this, this, this scare, this uh, fear would infiltrate these Christians and they would just run away and hide and, and you would never hear from the church again. And it looked again as if Satan had won. But now what we see as, as we begin to go through the rest of Acts, we see that this now violent opposition to the gospel forced them to spread. And it forced them to move into and scatter into surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And the good news was preached to new Gentile audiences. And in the midst of terrible persecution, the church continued to grow. And it seems like every week we've gotten to this point in the message, in this point in the scripture, and it says, and the church grew, and the church grew. And now it's begin to take a break for, for three weeks as we, as we uh, celebrate Easter next week. And, and we get to leave off in a, mar- in a moment that looked like it was snuffed out, it was over with. The church continued to grow. There's a man named Tertullian. He was one of the um, just ancient uh, historians of Christianity. I don't know much about him, but I did read about him as I found this really awesome quote that he said. And among other things, he was the first writer to use the term the Trinity. And this is what he said about Stephen's death. He says, The blood of martyrs became the seed of the church. And the church began to grow and flourish. And that's the first time that we see this uh, word martyr. What, something very interesting as we get ready to wrap up is the word martyr means witness. And when Stephen's life was taken, that word witness took on a much stronger meaning. All of a sudden, it went from just talking and, 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 and telling and, and saying, I saw Jesus, and this is what Jesus did for me, to now this witness is someone who's willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ. See, when Stephen gave his life, he was a witness, but now he's a martyr, and he gave the ultimate price. He gives his life, and so now that phrase, that word witness, carries a much stronger meaning. So with that... Look on the screen, Acts 1.8. This is the verse that we kind of launched the series with. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, but the word martyr means witness. So you put that in there. Now you're going to be my martyrs. Someone who's willing to give up everything. Someone who's willing to do whatever it takes. Somebody who's willing to, to open your mouth and to share the good news of Jesus. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now everyone, like I said, is not called to give their life. But what can we give up? What can we sacrifice? Are we just 
casual witnesses, or are we willing to be martyrs, someone who gives up whatever it takes to get the message of the cross out? Some are called to give their life. I got a message just a couple days ago that the nation of Turkey has called evangelism an act of terrorism. And they've charged an American pastor, and he's in prison now, as an act of terrorism for preaching the gospel. But here's what I know. Whether you're called to give your life or whether you're called to go across the street, no matter of the level of persecution, the Holy Spirit will empower you to shine. The Holy Spirit will empower you filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, you're going to be glowing. You're going to be shining at bright light in the middle of a dark, dark world. A couple of next steps for you today. Number one is just to do my part to light the world with the gospel. Start speaking up. No more just showing the world with the life that you live. Sure, it's a great Bible to show them, but, but the Bible without the name of Jesus is not much of a Bible. So maybe it's time to start speaking up. Share Jesus. Get uncomfortable. Do my part. Know that around the world there's people, like Craig said, doing far, far more. And they're called to that region and, 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 and they're going to be faithful to God. But we've been called here. There's faithful men and women sharing around the world. But who is sharing in our own neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our school? Do your part to light the world with the gospel. And number two, we've got to pray for those people. I can't, everywhere we went, we said, and then it was translated, we are going to go back and tell our church family. We're going to go back and tell our friends and we are going to be praying for you. And so number two is pray for those brothers and sisters who, who are risking far more than we are. Not to feel guilty about it. God's place is here. But we've got to pray for those people. I know we're running out of time. But here is just the honest truth too. It would be crazy of me to challenge you guys to go out and share Jesus out there. And we not share with Jesus in here. So as we get ready to wrap up, I've got to tell you that no matter what you're coming from, no matter where you were at last week or last night or last month, God has brought you here to hear a message this morning. And maybe it was to be challenged from the, from the life of Stephen. Or maybe it was to know that no matter what you've done, God still loves you. And he loves you so much. That 2,000 years ago, he saw a problem, and the problem was we were disconnected from him. And we could not get to God because of our sin. And so he sent his son Jesus to live perfectly on this earth for 33 years. And he, and he lived and he gave us the perfect example of what that life was supposed to look like. And then at the end of his life, he gave it up. And he gave it up so he could pay the sin, the sin debt, the payment for my sin, for your sins, for every sin that would ever be committed. So that if we believed in him and his resurrection, which happened three days later, then we could be forever with God in heaven and be made right with him and enjoy a life filled with the Holy Spirit and enjoy the hope and the comfort and the peace and the, and the power and the wisdom that comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I would invite you this morning that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never came to a place in your life where you said, God, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, no amount of works, no amount of going to church, no amount of being good is going to do it. I have to trust in your son, Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I would say to you, just admit your sin to Jesus. Confess to him your brokenness and your need for salvation. 
realize that what the Bible says that he did on the cross really happened and what it says that he did three days later really happened and then he's alive and living with God in heaven today and he will save your soul. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be empowered to shine. Would you stand and pray with me?